Good evening, class, and welcome to this midweek Bible study at the Antioch Church of Christ. My name is Michael Whittington, and I preach for the congregation at Antioch. We've been going through the 51st Psalm, and I would like to begin not reading the 51st Psalm, but the 32nd Psalm, at least the first five verses. Listen to the word of the Lord. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to thee uh, at a time of distress. In the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Thou art a hiding place for me. Thou preservest me from trouble. Thou dost encompass me with deliverance. Um, we've been going through the 51st Psalm class in the last four weeks. It's a psalm of renewal, a prayer for renewal, a psalm of contrition. But we may not know that the 32nd Psalm was another psalm that was written uh, after Nathan had confronted King David with the sins that he had committed against Bathsheba, Uriah, and of course against Almighty God. Um, and I find the 32nd Psalm in conjunction with the 51st Psalm uh, very complementary, as one would think. And the 32nd Psalm talks about how David uh, it wasn't immediate when Nathan confronted David. He acknowledged and confessed his sin, but apparently before Nathan had even confronted David, um, David understood what he was doing was wrong, and he felt this, this nudging of God's Spirit repeatedly for him to repent. And I know that you feel the same way whenever you commit sin. At least I do. Whenever I commit sin, whenever I violate God's word, whenever I uh, say things I shouldn't say or do things I shouldn't do, um, the Spirit of God that dwells within me continues to, to nudge me and to, and to prick, to cut my heart, to, um, to drive me closer to confessing my sin before God. And that's really... Um, we discover in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, that's um, how we can determine whether or not we are in Christ, whether or not God's Spirit is within us. Whenever our hearts condemn us, John says, because God is greater than our hearts. So anyway, I thought I would open with the 32nd Psalm um, as we move along. Now, the 51st Psalm begins, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy abundant mercy, according to thy steadfast love, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my uh, iniquities, for I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. And then he goes on to say, Against you, you only, have I sinned. Now, the first two parts of that psalm, the first two steps 
uh, of renewal uh, is the cry for cleansing and the reality of sin. Let me back up just one more here. Sorry, I got ahead of myself there. So you've got the cry for cleansing and you in verses one and two, and then verses three and four, you have the reality of sin. Now, I believe what the 51st Psalm does for us today, um, 3,000 years after it was penned by King David, is it gives us a step-by-step -step pattern, a format, whenever we feel like we must be renewed, we, we must not only be forgiven, that we're begging God to renew our spirit. We want to rededicate ourselves to the Lord. And so the first part of that pattern is to cry aloud for cleansing. Have mercy on me, O God. The second part of that pattern is to understand that sin is real. I, as David says, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. The third part of the pattern is to understand how deep this goes, how deep the sin goes. Um, once again, the background, this time I've gone through this for four weeks. For those of you who have stayed with the Bible class for the last four Wednesday nights, um, I am not going to have another five or 10 minutes on this. But we do know that what preceded the writing of the psalm, the song, by the musician and by King David, who was a musician as well, what, what um, preempted the 32nd and the 51st Psalm were David's sins. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had Joab, who was the commander in chief of the army in battle, send Uriah to the front line so Uriah would be killed and David's sin would be covered. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. Uh, heinous, heinous sins. Nathan confronts David with the parable and then concludes with, you're the man that the parable spoke of. If you want to read this, you can go to 1 Samuel chapters 11, and 12, and you'll get all the background you need for Psalms 51. The moment David realized that indeed, he had been thinking about it ahead of time, as we just said from the 32nd Psalm, but the moment David realized that indeed he had committed sin against God, he lay prostrate before the altar of God and he confessed his sins and he begged God for renewal. Um, the cry for cleansing, I've already recited that from memory. I've forgotten I had it on the PowerPoint here. The reality of sin, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned. And now we come to the depths of sin. And David writes in verse five and six, I was sinful at birth, sinful, from the time of my from the time my mother conceived me you desire truth in the inner parts you teach me wisdom in the inmost places now we need to stop for just a moment because at first glance at first reading this may seem out of place at at least it did to me i want to go back 
David begins with this cry of cleansing. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. I know my sin, right? My uh, transgressions, my sin is ever before me. So he's crying for a cleansing. He's crying to God. He's acknowledging the fact that this was real. And then all of a sudden he talks about birth. I was sinful at birth. I believe what David wants to remind himself of, and God really reminds us of, is that our whole life is a struggle to do what is right. And only the Spirit of God, only God, and in, in Christ, with the Christian living within us, only God can take away the, the, the guilt of our sins. Because on this side of eternity, since the fall, we are without a doubt guilty. Um, we, are, we suffer the consequence of Adam's sin. And the question really is, do we suffer the guilt of Adam's sin? And then uh, David, in, this, in the sixth verse, um, God is telling David that, that it's the inside of a person that's really important. So David acknowledges, I was sinful from my birth, meaning I, in, I, I inherited the nature of sin, um, just being human. And the only way I can have that sin removed is for you, God, to come inside. You desire truth in the inner part. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. I'm not sure how long this class will be, but um, it may not be that long because I've only got a couple more slides. But I, I just want to remind us all uh, that the fifth and sixth verse really um, talk about the sinful nature of humanity. Um, David, in some translations, it reads uh, that he said, I was conceived in sin. He's clearly not talking about the, the um, act of, um, of procreation between a husband and a wife being sinful. He's simply going back to Genesis chapter 3. Now, it's been called the original sin, and I guess we could spend a lot of time on it. Um, the thought was really perfected, if you will, um, by, by Augustine. Augustine was a fourth century church father, church theologian, who used Genesis chapter 3 and Romans 5 and a handful of other passages to conclude and to set forth the doctrine of original sin, which in a single sentence, and this is really being oversimplified, but in a single sentence, Augustine said that every child born in the human race inherits the guilt of Adam's sin and must be cleansed, uh, must be forgiven of that sin. I don't get that specifically when I read the text. When I read Genesis 3, I understand that without a doubt that sin entered the world whenever Adam and Eve um, disobeyed God. And that's when the world fell away from God. Before the fall, I believe the Garden of Eden was heaven on earth. 
And I'm convinced that's why in the end, when the Apostle Peter talks about how the heavens and the earth will be destroyed with fire, and then later in Revelation we read in Holy Scripture that God will create new heavens and a new earth. What transpired before the fall was perfect, just perfection. Adam was perfect. Eve was perfect. Creation was perfect. The heavens were perfect. And that's why God concluded after each day of the six days, this is good. It was very good. And then, of course, on the seventh day, God rested. So we have prior to the fall, perfection. And I believe that's what religion, that's what the body of Christ, that's what God's people, uh, Judaism, completed Judaism in the church, is the prototype of. The church is the prototype of heaven. It's the prototype of what was intended all along to be. But on this side of humanity, uh, our bodies are yet to be glorified. We still live in our fleshly bodies. And as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So there is on this side of eternity a struggle between doing good, being righteous, and doing evil. And only God living within us can forgive the evil that we commit and enable us to do the good. David understood this. I believe that's why he says in Psalm 51, 11, he begs the Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. When we get to that text, we're going to spend quite a bit of time to that verse. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on the Holy Spirit. Um, because David is asking God not, uh, not to take the Spirit from him. Which, of course, begs the question, what about today? Would God ever remove his Spirit from his, his child, from me or from you? I believe the answer in Holy Scripture is absolutely not. He will not do that because of the gospel, because of Christ. And when we get to the 11th verse of Psalm 51, um, we'll spend more time on it. But for now, understand that when David talks about how he was born in sin, I believe he's making reference to, the, to human nature from the fall. Now, the question is, do we inherit the guilt of Adam's sin? Now, Romans chapter 5, um, if I were you, I would earmark it. And when this class is over, perhaps you could read the whole, the whole text. Verse 12 kind of kicks it off. And in verse 12, Paul says, Through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, so that all men die because all men sin. And then Paul will go on to, to kind of uh, take that thought and, uh, and unpack it. Uh, in Romans chapter 5. Do we inherit the guilt of Adam's sin? Augustine would say, yes, we do. We have. You know. um, I don't believe Paul would say that. Now, I know there are many, many Christians in the evangelical world, and I'm an evangelical, 
as probably you are listening. I'm very conservative, biblically conservative, and how we would define today an evangelical. That's me. It's Michael Whittington. And, I, and, and there are many of my um, Christian brothers and sisters who would say, I'm not sure if you're right on this. But I don't believe we inherit the guilt of Adam's sin. I don't believe scripture corroborates it. And I don't think common sense corroborates it. I don't know how a six-month-old baby um, needs to be saved. Uh, and this hope this doesn't sound heretical. I believe that a child, child mentally and emotionally, is safe and embraced by God the Father. Those of us who have reached that age of accountability and, of course, gone far beyond it, we are either saved or lost. Saved through Christ, lost without Christ. I do believe that we inherit the consequence of Adam's sin. And the consequence of sin is physical death. And without Christ, without God, spiritual death. The separation between Adam, Adam, and God. But as far as I read scripture, in my studies, I have found it to, um, for me, that I, I just, I do believe that we inherit the consequence of Adam's sin. At any rate, David begins in that fifth and sixth verse with those thoughts. And I believe he's talking about when he says, I was conceived in sin. He's not talking about his mother and father. He's not talking about being conceived out of wedlock. He's talking about the human um, nature of being removed from God based on Adam's sin and the fall. And as one grows, uh, they reach an age where they are old enough. And I don't know what, what that age is. For some, it may be seven or eight. For others, it may be 12. For others, perhaps even older. Um, God knows and the, and the, and the person knows. Um, but whenever we reach that age of accountability, then we have to make a decision. Do we receive Christ or do we reject Christ? We need to be saved with Christ. Without Christ, we're lost. But I believe David's talking about uh, inheriting the consequence of Adam's sin. Let me back up a little bit here to read this text. I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So there are two parts of this. The sixth verse is, you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Class, there is no doubt that God has always desired inward truth. A couple of weeks ago on a Sunday when I was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, 22 and following, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the nine qualities of the singular fruit of the Spirit, they're, they're all inward. They're, all of these qualities are, are within us, and then they're expressed outwardly. 
And I believe I used um, Max Lucado's line from 30 years ago. And I'll go and start it, but if I don't remember it, just please forgive me. I'll explain the thought of it anyway. When he said spray paint won't remove rust, uh, wax on the hood of a car uh, will not repair the engine, and a Band-Aid will not heal a tumor. <laughs> if the problem is inside, you have to go inside. And I love that thought because it is so biblically accurate. If the problem is inside, you have to go inside. That's what David understood. That's what David was confessing. He was confessing that he had violated God's covenant of marriage and violated God's covenant of salvation, God's covenant between God and David, God's agreement with God, uh, between God and David. David acknowledges and confesses that. And then he adds, the only way that can be forgiven is to seek truth, kind of a synonym for God or God's spirit, to seek truth in my inner parts. We need to be reminded um, that we are morally impotent without God. Without a doubt, we live in the flesh and therefore we live in a fallen world and every human being from Adam after the fall following all the way to today billions and billions of people who have lived and died and seven billion living today that without God's direction without God's intervention we are morally inept we are morally impotent whatever word you choose to use we have no morals whatsoever you desire truth in the inner parts I'm not going to read this text in Romans 7 but I have it on the screen for you to kind of jot down and read to yourself it is a remarkable um, passage of scripture where the apostle Paul is sharing this struggle that he has and that every person has. The reason this is important is because sometimes we think that since the Spirit of God lives within us, we ought to be just perfect. We ought to live perfect lives. We ought to do always the right thing because after all, the Spirit of Christ dwells within us. What we sometimes forget, and we, and we get depressed when we sin because we're thinking, I thought I was a Christian. We need to remind ourselves that on this side of eternity, our bodies are not glorified. It doesn't excuse us. It just reminds us that we are in a constant battle the 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 um the new testament really the entire bible but especially in the new testament uh really talks about this conflict i'm going to put it in my own words what what paul is saying in romans 7. paul is saying that there's a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder 
He said, whatever I want to do that's right, I don't do. Whatever I don't want to do that's evil is what I end up doing. And he goes through this struggle, this dichotomy. And then he concludes in verse 25 with this cry for help. Wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then Paul says, that was verse 24. And then Paul says in verse 25, thanks be to God that Christ has delivered me. We just need to remind ourselves that the prayer for renewal that David uttered is every bit needed today, 2021. It's needed today, in the month of September, 2021. We need it today. Um, I've already mentioned Lucado. Matthew chapters 6 and 23, all God ever has wanted is for the inside of us to change. Why not the outside? Of course God wants the outside. What he's been telling us repeatedly is that if you only change the outside and change your behavior, but don't change the why behind the behavior, you're a hypocrite. If you you know, I mean, I can force myself to do the right thing all along wanting to manipulate the situation, uh, wanting to conceal my evil ambition. I mean, I can say the right words. I really do believe that, in, that, that it's so clearly seen, and I don't mean to judge everyone, every politician, but wow, I think anyone looking into Washington, especially during the election years, we often see where words and actions are incongruent. The right words are spoken, but the behavior is not there. Or it's converse, it's, it's opposite. Or you can see the right behavior, but then you know it's not deep within a person because they, they tend to be, uh, they're inconsistent. God has always wanted himself to dwell within us. We are created, imago dei, in the image of God. And as such, we, should, we need to understand that we are to behave like God, not just outwardly, but inwardly. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't practice your piety, your, re, your, your religiousness, your religiosity. Don't practice your piety before men just to be seen by them. And then, of course, in this beautiful text, he gives three examples. When you give alms, when you give money, don't blow a trumpet. When you pray, don't pray that others might hear you and say, man, what a great prayer. And when you fast, don't tell other people you're fasting. Don't walk around gloomy and, and hint, look at me, I haven't eaten because I'm so holy and I'm fasting and praying. God, Jesus in this text in Matthew 6, 
clearly wasn't condemning giving or praying or fasting. In fact, God encourages us to give and pray and fast, but do it for the right reasons. Matthew 23, the same thing. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you, you do whatever. You know, you tithe your mint, anise, and cumin, your garden herbs, but you neglect justice, faith, and mercy. And so we need to remind ourselves that God desires inward truth. The reason David was called a man after God's own heart is because he understood this and he lived by it. The sins he committed, wow, were horrific. I mean, absolutely horrific. In all honesty, I can't even imagine grouping all those sins together. Adultery and murder and betrayal, grouping all that together. I commit sin, but those were, are so horrific that one could easily remove himself or herself from David. But in fact, we need to, re we need to read this psalm frequently because it gives us a step-by-step -step pattern on asking God to rededicate ourselves, to renew our spirits. And be honest, I mean, only you and God, you've committed every bit as heinous of a sin as David. I have. The sins that we commit need to be forgiven. And forgiveness only comes through a cry for cleansing. God, forgive me. It only comes through confessing my sins. Once the sins are confessed and, they, and we accept them as being real, then I remind myself it isn't just this one sin, but all the way from birth. And so, and so I have to remember that on this side of eternity, on this side of heaven, I'm going to have this struggle for the rest of my life. And the 51st Psalm is giving me a pattern that I can use to fall prostrate before the Lord God. Filled with the Holy Spirit, yes. Heart um, and conscience pricked, yes. But fall before God and ask him to forgive me. And that's why David was a man after God's own heart. Um, in Jeremiah 31, 33, let me read that text for us. Because what we have living within us that enables us to confess our sins and to receive forgiveness is God's Spirit. David understood that as well. Uh, this is the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, after, after David's time, but this is what Jeremiah writes uh, in, in Jeremiah 31. He says in verse 33 and 34, this is the covenant, God speaking, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Wow. What is the new covenant that God placed, that Jeremiah was prophesying about, that God placed within our hearts? It's the fruition of God sending his Holy Spirit to live within us. It's the Spirit of God who pricks my conscience. It's the Spirit of God that nudges me when I do the wrong thing, that, that allows me to, um, that, that, um, that tells me, that encourages me to fall before God and beg for forgiveness. Without the Spirit of God within me, without this new covenant on my heart, then I would just go about my daily routine, you know, sin and all. That's why it's really important for us to understand this connection. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. I'll tell you, church, class, fellow Christian, that the Spirit of God that dwelt within David is the same Spirit that dwells within us. David was the exception. The church, there are no exceptions. Everyone who is a Christian, has the Spirit of God given him. It's Joel's prophecy on Pentecost that was fulfilled when God's Spirit would be poured upon all flesh to all those who receive Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and their Savior. If God calls you, he will equip you. This is what I tell my students. I teach a couple of university uh, courses online at the graduate level, um, courses in leadership and courses in chaplaincy studies. And I remind the chaplain students that I teach, I tell them, uh, if God has called you to this sphere of ministry, he will equip you for it. And that's true with every single person in the body of Christ. You are called by God for specific ministries, for service, to love God and love others. If you think you cannot do it, remember God equips those whom he calls. As we read through this 51st Psalm, we need to understand there are steps. And we've gone through now three steps, a cry for cleansing, the reality of sin, and the depths of sin. We're going to pick it up next week with Psalm 51, 7 through 9, where David talks about how once his soul, his spirit is cleansed, now he's back in communion with God. He's back in 
in a, in a partnership with the Lord. The, the Greek word in the New Testament for this is the word koinonia, that once we rededicate ourselves to God, once we confess our sins and God forgives us of our sins, now we are once again walking in the light, 1 John 1, 7. And as we walk in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, communion with God. If we walk in the darkness, we do not have communion with God. So I'm looking forward to sharing these thoughts next Wednesday. So until then, God bless you. Perhaps I'll see you on Sunday. I hope so. Um, and if not, stay healthy. Um, as John says, the Apostle John, I know that it is well with your soul. God bless.